Welcome to Launching a Foster Care Ministry in Your Church, Part 1. My name is Katie Dio. This is Parisiano and Renee Denbo. And we are your um, leaders today. Um, we're going to start with Renee. Renee is, um, her ministry is the care portal director for Southwest Ohio or Ohio or the world. <laughs> yeah, it, it changes weekly. Okay. She's in charge of the care portal. And if you don't know what care portal is, you probably don't even know how hard your life is. Because um, it just makes your life easier. It's a really simple tool. So here's my piece of paper if you're looking in the paper pack. Um, basically, care portal is a preventative measure on our first level. We have tier one, that's basically. Um, material needs that kind of keep a kid out of foster care. So we're kind of stemming the flow of kids that, that flood the system before that occurs. So we're giving ch churches an opportunity to meet some of those needs, keep families in their, in their family home together or in kinship care so that foster care and the government are not involved at all. Um, so that's step one. Tier two is sort of the tier where we wrap around and support existing foster care uh, providers, um, maybe ongoing relationships with kinship providers and, or adoptive parents where they need what rides, volunteer stuff, not that not tangible items, but volunteer hours like rides to therapy sessions, help with transportation here, their tutoring, mentoring, uh, dinners all that stuff that we wrap around the, the family. Um, and then as you go through, I think I always talk, talk about it in terms of like a funnel because we cast a really big net at tier one where just literally everybody in your church can drive a pack and play to somebody's house and drop it off and pray. So that is the, you know, every single person that's sitting in your congregation can be involved in that layer. And as they start to volunteer on that layer and, you know, build relationships with families, we tend to get a smaller group of more involved, deeper level volunteerism. And that layer tends to trickle down to the few who are willing to open their houses to respite care, become foster parents, become adoptive parents. So it's this sort of mechanism that's built to to give everybody a chance to, to support the movement and then usher you through to a deeper involvement, if that makes any sense. Um, I always like to talk about Care Portal in terms of like the, the parable of the sower. You know, the, Jesus said there's four kinds of soil and there, you know, you can toss your seed and it's either gonna land on hard soil or rocky soil or weeds or you end up with the good soil. And I think we always think of that as an encouragement to be good soil. Um, but I always think sort of in a reverse, you know, engineering way, like, but how did I become good soil? Um, I think Care Portal gives you a really neat way to till up some ground for, some, for a family in crisis remove some of those rocks and some of those weeds so that when the seed of the gospel is planted in their life, it's, it's planted in prepared soil. Any farmer or gardener or lady with a house plant will tell you that you can't just throw the seed willy-nilly and expect a harvest. If you expect a harvest, you have to tend the soil. You have to maintain your garden. Like You're going to look for the optimal sunlight and watering and 
keeping the soil healthy. Um, and so I think of Care Portal as that tool. It's, the, it's a tool that works for that purpose. Um, so it's not the ministry in itself. I know Katie's going to talk a lot about wraparound ministry, and this is literally just a tool that says, hey, there's a bunch of people in your congregation that have things and hours and hearts to serve, but they don't know where the need is. And there are tons of people in your church and outside your walls that need people and things and relationship. And Care Portal kind of just connects those dots for us. So all my information is on here. So if you want to know more about Care Portal, feel free to look through the whole thing, look at the website. But if you have specific questions, feel free to call me, email me. All of that stuff is on here. And Katie knows Which everything about this, too. These are counties in Ohio Right now, the only two counties we have operating are Lancaster County and Hamilton County with Warren County just about to launch. Oh, and Montgomery County. We just launched Mo Montgomery County, so that's very new. So um, this is a newer ministry that's growing rapidly right. throughout Ohio? Yeah. About how many needs have we met in the two years since there's a lot of numbers, <laughs> so and there's a somebody whose job it is to keep track of all those numbers, and that's not my job. Um, but uh, but I do know that I mean we've we've saved our county hundreds of thousands of dollars in in funds. Um, we've kept I countless number of children into the hundreds of kids who would have been taken into the foster care system, and we prevented that. We have not started. Um, tier two in a really meaningful way in that that wraparound volunteerism moment yet um, we have a few requests that come in and we have a few volunteers that meet that but it's a whole nother layer of complicated vetting process that goes into you know allowing somebody to drive your child across town that's very different than I can drive a bed across town <laughs> so we're still building that that layer that's where we are now um, it's a pretty new um, ministry, but it's just one of those tools that I think just watching it from the beginning, I'm watching congregations be discipled into the vulnerable kids space where that was a foreign topic three years ago. A lot of churches are beginning to understand that we need that kind of ministry. Um, and so I'm watching that like, oh, we can take beds to a family in crisis. Oh, we can bring the kid to church with us and just a deeper and deeper relationship with their community that you know, serves kids. Look, it's O H. Here we go. It's all about Ohio. It's international, but yeah, we still have Ohio on there, so it's made for us. Yeah, here you want that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're recording this, so we have to kind of share the mic today. So yeah, don't make me get my car. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. That'd be funny. Thank you so much. Well, um, I just want to make sure everybody has, does everybody have this packet? Okay. And inside there, you'll see there's a Father's Heart bookmarker, but on the other side of it is a kid uh, in Ohio that's waiting to be adopted. And so I'm just asking each one of you, if you would just, um, what? He told me this is I know, yeah, I know. But I'm just asking if you got if you guys would pray for this child that you have. You know, stick it in your Bible or whatever and pray for um, the child on your thing, you know. And uh, you know, prayer can 
can do awesome things, right? We know we serve a great God. And speaking of prayer, I'd like to open up in prayer today, okay? Lord, we just thank you and praise you. Uh, you are such a good, loving, heavenly Father. And Lord, I thank you, God, for what you've done in each of our lives. And I thank you for this time together. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts, God that you would guide us and lead us today. Guide and lead me as I share and Katie as she shares today. I just pray that you would use us as your vessels. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So my name is Paris Yano, and I'm the director of Father's Heart, which is a ministry of the Ohio Ministry Network. And it's a ministry to help our churches develop ministry uh, to help vulnerable children and families. So it's connecting Christians to care for vulnerable children and families. And Katie here, she works for um, the Coalition of Care, and um, she is the church multiplication director for, for um, Coalition of Care. Yeah. So... Um, You'll be learning a little bit more about us as we go through our thing. But uh, my husband and I, we were in Youngstown, Ohio for 26 years. And um, we, I was the director of an inner city ministry there called HeartReach Ministries. We planted a church, Metro Assembly, and my husband was the pastor of Metro. He was also at HeartReach as the director for a period of time. And then um, we uh, fostered for about 10 years. And we ended up adopting three of our foster children. So that's a little bit of our story. And uh, so it's kind of cool that God's opened the doors for me to serve now in this capacity, um, just to bring awareness to our churches and help them engage in foster care ministry. So um, today we have lots of resources on the table. There's all kinds of books and stuff. Everybody should have got a, got a little piece of paper here. And um, if you would just put your name and like your email address on it, if you put your email address if you want to be on like the Father's Heart mailing list where you can get resources and just updates and stuff. Um, and then we're going to collect these. If you would just pass them to the first person in your row and we're going to have a drawing. I have some things to give away somewhere. Did you see some books, Katie? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, I got them here. Yeah. We got some books. Okay, here we go. So, I don't know. Let's see. Would somebody volunteer to collect them? Let's see. Okay. Well, here, I'll help you. <laughs> they don't have to be folded. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So... All right, so um, we have, yeah, yeah, let's draw them now. Okay. Okay, so uh, I didn't think about what to put them in. Oh, yeah, we can put them in this box. Okay. Okay, pick out a, pick out a thing. Yeah, and we have Father's Heart Pens. So this book is called Small Town Big Miracle. Has anybody ever read this? Oh, my goodness. You have to read this book. It is so inspiring. This is about Bishop Martin. He's from Possum Trot, Texas, a pastor of a little tiny church that just uh, embraced the need for foster care families and their church 
uh, practically wiped out the foster care system in their county. So it's a very, very inspiring story. You got to read it. LV. LV. Woo. Okay. That's LV. Oh, I am so sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Come to the next session. We'll give more away. Okay. Loretta. Okay, so this book is all in um, uh, Orphan Care by Jason Johnston, and um, it's a fantastic book. You can use it for small group Bible studies and stuff on orphan care ministry. They have a small group study guide. Yeah, they have a small group study guide too. So we'll go, we'll stop there. We'll do the next two at the next session. So um, <laughs> that's good. So to this session, we're going to be talking about the foster care problem. Okay, the biblical response and engaging the problem. So I'm going to hand it over to Katie, and she's going to take over, and hopefully we can fit all this in. We're going to fly. Somebody was, like, left-handed. Um, small town, big miracle. He, uh, Bishop Martin was on Oprah with that story. Yeah. Like, it's a well-known story. He leads one of three counties in Texas that the church has wiped out the county and there are more families waiting for children than children waiting for families. In I don't know what county Possum Trot's in. Probably Possum Trot County or... <laughs> not really sure, I haven't been there. But Brown County and then um, one of the counties in the suburbs of Dallas, um, just six months ago, the church wiped out the foster care system. We are next week. That's why we're here, because that is the goal. We don't want any kid anywhere to not have the love of a family and then the love of Jesus. So the foster care problem. The foster care problem is we have Aubrey and Nelson there who are so excited to be parents. And then William walked into their life, and he was so excited to be in their home. No. <laughs> If their hope was in William, it walked out the door when William walked in. If their hope was in Jesus, they get to do that a year later. All the pictures that I'm using today are families I know who have adopted. They adopted William. Um, I'm in daily contact with that family because it's hysterical. We're trying to teach William right now about monogamy. It's not going well. <laughs> Uh, he's 13, and he's already got three girlfriends that he's going to marry because he's getting parts of the monogamy. Um, so <laughs> it's the joys. There are a hundred. These are fill in the blank. So if you don't have a pen, there's pens up there. There are 153 orphans in the world. That is one out of 14 children. Orphan means different things in different country, so those stats are not always 100% correct when we look at world. America has, as of when I made this slide a week ago, 437,465 foster kids. And as of a week ago, there were 12,249 in Ohio. That's a few too many. Anybody else agree? So let's fix it, because Jesus can. He just needs willingness. Um, this surprised me. 
the ages of foster cares in Ohio. Everybody thinks they're mostly teenagers. They are not. It's about 25% around the, around the whole circle. Yes, the majority are teenagers, but only by 3%. So when somebody goes, no, I don't want teenagers, I have little kids, guess what? A quarter of them are little kids. Mm -hmm. So that is the crisis in a nutshell. Every county has kids in foster care in Ohio and the country. Okay. Section two. Are you ready? I think this is you. That's Alex. She's the mom. She's a single mom who adopted those two beautiful little girls and now has their baby sister. Who I get to keep next <laughs> Okay, get set up here. Let me put that in my back pocket or something. Part of it was. But are you, you want to do it? I, I, Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Just stand close to each yeah, other. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'll hold it. But maybe not in front of the slide. <laughs> Sorry. We didn't practice. Okay. 1,172 18 to 21 year olds age out of foster care this year in Ohio. Their future is glim. Very, very glim. Now, most of our kids, we encourage them to go to college, to get a degree, to get a profession, to go to trade school, to become something. Well, foster kids, about 2% start college. And about 4% of the ones who start graduate. So they're not getting a lot of high-paying careers, even if they are functioning. A quarter of them don't have... A high school diploma, half will be unemployed by the time they're 24. One in four will be involved in the justice system within two years. 71% of women will be pregnant by 21. It's a little young to have a baby. And one in five will be homeless very quickly. Um, I don't know very many uh, adults who were in foster care who aged out who have not experienced homelessness. This is the worst part. I remember the first time I heard about human trafficking and the crisis and the testimonies our women's group did a thingy. And I bawled my eyes out driving home and I'm like, God, I can't save all the foster kids and all the human trafficking victims. And God said, you don't have to. The foster kids are the human trafficking victims. I would love to not have human trafficking victims in Ohio. We're a top five state in the country. I would love to wipe our prisons out and have see prisons closing instead of being built. Some of the numbers they base prisons on is foster care. Our boys go to prison, our girls go into human trafficking. Most of them. That sucks. I don't know any other way to say it. It's very professional. <laughs> Yeah, so um, this is our son, Dante, one of the, our adopted sons. And right now he is, um, he graduated from high school. He went into the Air Force, so he's serving in Japan. 
serving God, serving it, our country. But the cool thing is what Katie was saying about wiping out our prisons and our you know, homelessness rate. I mean, what a way to have an impact on our communities, right? Well, Dante, uh, he came from a family where all of his uh, siblings in his family, the, the, the boy siblings in his family, his brothers, his cousins, I think that every single one of them have uh, been in prison. And so, you know what? When you adopt, we're going to talk about this today, God gives you a new identity. You know, that curse that's been passed down through the generations can be broken. And then God can uh, start a new line in that family, a new generation that's serving him and is positive, right? So our son Dante is a testimony of that. You know, uh, he's, he graduated from high school. A lot of his brothers did not graduate from high school, you know, and he's the only one that did not end up in prison. So... Praise God. So today, not only are we going to talk about the problem, but we want to talk about the biblical response. Okay, the human response or the human, I mean, the heavenly mandate to a human problem. So this is a heavenly mandate from God for a human problem. And you say, well, why, why should we get involved with foster care ministry? Well, you know what? The gospel is our why. The gospel is why we do it, because uh, we have been adopted by God, because uh, it is who we are in Christ Jesus. We are children now of our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted by Him. The incarnation is another reason why, because God cared for us. He sent His Son, Jesus. To, to come to earth so that he would understand what we go through. God cares for us. He cares for us. So I want to look at John 1, 9 to 14. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human descent, or a, a, a human's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I want to look at this adoption. It is who we are. In verse 12 there, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are God's children. We are adopted into him, his family. You know, when we adopted our three children and took them in, you know what? They took on a new identity. They took on our last name. They had access to my husband and I 24-7. They had access to us. You know, they had new privileges that went along with being a Yano that they didn't have before. You know, they had new responsibilities that they didn't have before. And, you know, some of the um, negative things that were in their life were no longer there because they were a part of the Yano family. And, you know, that's how it is with God, isn't it? 
So Ephesians 1, 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Romans 8, 15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. God is our Abba, Father. And you know what? The neat thing is, in the Jewish uh, language, there's like no word for adoption because it wasn't needed. Back then, um, if, a, if a man would die, well, his brother or another man in the family would take on the responsibility of that family, become the father to those children. And so in the Jewish culture, there was no such thing as adoption. So when Paul's writing this in Romans, it's taking on the Romans' definition of adoption. And get this, this is so cool. A Roman, when a child was born, a biological child was born, they had the option of either um, uh, uh, giving that child up for adoption. They, they, they didn't have to keep the child. Or they had the, the uh, choice of keeping the child. So when the ch biological was child, you born, the biological child was born, they had a choice. You know, they were able to say, I don't want this baby, or they could take it. But if that baby was adopted, they were not allowed to abandon that baby. That baby was a part of their family for life. They could not uh, give that baby back. You know, it was a choice. And so they said, okay, this is, you know, permanent. So a child, uh, and isn't that cool? How, that's the same how it is with us and God, right? I mean, when we're adopted into God's family, it's a permanent thing. You know, he doesn't, just because we screw up and stuff, he doesn't reject us, right? And he will never leave us, forsake us. He gives us a new identity. You know, we know who we are in Christ. We are no longer a liar. We are no longer whatever. You know what? We're a child of God, and we're... Uh, we're pure and holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus. So we have a new identity. He forgives us our debts, our sins. We are God's hairs. You know what? My kids, when they came into my family, when I adopted them in, they're going to get an inheritance from me. Well, it might not be much, but you know what I mean? They're part of my will. They're, you know what? They are hairs of our, my family. Oh, I'm sorry. You went through them really fast. Oh, I am sorry. I'm just flying, huh? So what are you missing? So, do you want to just read that section again? Yeah. He... Oh, okay. Yeah, he chose us. He desired us. Okay. He will not leave us or forsake us. <coughs> yeah, you got to keep me on track here. I can fly. Okay. And just... <laughs> okay, he gives us a new identity. He forgives our debt or sin, okay? And we are God's heirs. Did you get them all? Is that it? Okay. So adoption does not mean becoming, just becoming a child of God, but it also means becoming a part of God's family. You know, when we adopted Jaquan and Raquel and little D or Dante, they came into our home. They not only got Al and I as parents, but they got two brothers and a sister as well. 
you know, so we're a part of the family of God. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's right. They're reading this book. That's a really cool book. So, um, so one of the reasons why the gospel, it, it's because we've been adopted in. The second thing, incarnation. The incarnation of Christ. God becomes man so that he would understand our struggles. You know, he stepped into our world. In verse 14, it said, of John, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 1, to 23 says, All this took place to fulfill what God has said through his prophet. The virgin will conceive, conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The incarnation tells us that God was willing to step into messes. God was willing to go into hard, difficult places. And you know, as foster parents, as when you take on a foster child, you're going into a very difficult situation. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes you're working with biological families. You know, we had, it wasn't a foster care situation, but we had a young lady in our ministry that was uh, addicted to drugs. And so I remember working with her, you know, talking with her. She didn't want to be addicted to drugs, but she was. But she had to come to the point where she was desperate. You know how it is, right? I remember walking that journey with her. She had a teenage son. You know, walking that journey with her. And it's messy. It's just messy. You get involved. I remember one night... My husband got a call from her boyfriend, and it was just a mess. This drug dealer had, uh, was keeping her in his house and just, you know. So anyhow, my husband ended up having to go to the drug dealer's house and getting her out of this terrible, terrible situation, and it was a mess. And then she finally comes to the point where she's like, yes, I want to go to Teen Challenge. I want to get my life right. But then she has her teenage son. Well, who's going to? But that was the biggest thing. Who's going to take care of my teenage son? She didn't want him to go into foster care. She had nobody to take care of this teenage son. So I'm like, oh, dear God. <laughs> so what happened? So you know what? I'm thinking, well, God, it's messy and it's difficult. But you know what? We, we're called to do stuff like that. We're called to get into messy places. Jesus did it for us. And so, you know, my husband and I, we took on um, her son, Michael, for a year. Uh, he stayed in our home with us, you know, while she went to Teen Challenge. And I tell you what, today, Michael is serving God and, and is just a fine young man. But uh, you know what? That's what it's about. It's getting into messy places. And we have the greatest example of all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So... James, I hope I got all the blanks there. Okay, <laughs> just raise your hand if I don't. <laughs> what is it? So incarnation tells us that God sees hard places and broken people and moves. Towards them. Yeah, moves towards them, not away from them. He doesn't say, oh, I don't want to go there. Okay, broken people and moves towards them, not away, not, uh, not moving away from them. Yeah, not moving away from them. 
So I want to look at James 1.27. This is a verse that most of us are probably familiar with. It's religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world, right? Well, if we break that down, the word religion means in the context, it literally means an outward expression or display of something that is inwardly true, you know? And for each of us, if we receive Christ into our life, it's something that's inside of us. It's inwardly true. And then the word visit means to move towards, to step towards, to get involved with. So this is a mandate from God, right? To care for, to visit the orphans and the widows. It's to step into, to move towards, to get involved, to be engaged. And the reference to orphans and widows this represents the most vulnerable people in uh, the context that this scripture was written in, in James, the book of James. The most vulnerable people in that society was the orphans and the widows. So you know what? God is calling us not only to minister to orphans, to widows, but to vulnerable people in general, right? To vulnerable people. And Galatians 4 Uh, Four to five says, but when the set time has fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Praise God. This speaks of the purpose of Christ's incarnation. It was so that we could be adopted as God's sons. That's why God sent his son into the messiness of this world. Three things that incarnation does. Number one, it compels us to care for vulnerable, the vulnerable. We are compelled because of what Jesus did for us. Number two, it sustains us in the midst of it. So, So after you start fostering, you say, okay, I've stepped into this, I'm doing it. There's going to be times where you think, oh, dear God, what in the world did I get myself into? Yeah. Amen. (laughs) But you know what? Knowing that God was willing to do this for us, it helps us to be sustained and to keep doing it and to go on. Right. And then thirdly, the gospel is put on display when we care for the vulnerable. You know what, when we can give a testimony, like my son Dante, how his life was changed, his destiny was changed, it puts the gospel on display. You know, my son Jaquan, when when you have a kid who's failing out of school, getting in fights every day, you know, having, uh, getting expelled, you know, and then taking that child, putting him into a loving, stable family where he's receiving Christ Jesus and he accepts Jesus into his life. And now he's like, I'm the honor roll, a star student. The teachers love him. You know, what a transformation and what a way to put Jesus on display. You know, people obviously, his caseworker said, this is nothing short of a miracle. She said, this is only something God can do. You know, so it's a way to put Jesus on display. So the gospel is our source of why we begin. It is our motivation when it gets tough, and it is put on display as lives and generations are transformed. Caring for the vulnerable can be a multi 
uh, multi-generational story of redemption. You know, we had this little boy, and uh, he was like eight years old in our ministry at HeartReach, which is the inner city ministry to kids. And I remember the day his dad was um, shot and killed. And here, you know, this little boy didn't understand. He's angry, you know, and everything. But I tell you what, there were men, my husband, there were others that wrapped themselves around this little boy. It was a messy situation. It was, you know, and um, mentored him for years, mentored him for years, went into that messy situation. And I tell you what, today, uh, Malcolm, he's serving God. You know, Malcolm came from a, a family where his mom and dad weren't married. You know, his dad was... a out on the streets doing all kinds of stuff, you know. And today, Malcolm is serving God. He's married. He has three little boys that are amazing, and he's raising them up in church. He's a leader in his church. So you know what? I'm believing that God, you know, has a... He, he is changing that, that family, that generation, you know. There's no longer the fatherlessness. There's no longer the poverty. There's no longer, you know, the drugs and everything else that was in Malcolm's life as a child. But now he's a good dad, and he's raising his kids in church, and I believe they're going to do the same. And it's like a generational thing. It goes on and on. So we have an incredible opportunity to impact generations to come. So I'm going to turn it over to Katie. Uh-oh. i do the switcheroo again. They're going to love the audio from this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Okay. I get to do engaging the problem. Look, doesn't Will look happy with his parents? So the grid. The grid is used. It's in your care portal brochure. It's in my Coalition of Care brochure. It's in all the cool people in Orphan Care Ministry use the grid. So we all call it different things. So we have Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. I like Crawl, Walk, Run because it gives me a visual. We start with preservation. The care portal does a lot of preservation. Foster care. If we can't preserve the family, the kids go into foster care. If the family becomes hopeless, or the parent kids cannot return to the family, they get adopted. If they don't get adopted, they transition out of foster care into the world. So that's what these each mean. You have the grill the grid to fill in. In your church, if it's a smaller church, you tackle one square. Medium, maybe two, maybe three. Bigger church, all of them. But when you're starting your foster care ministry, start with one square. Do it well, do it excellently, and then add another. We're going to go over examples in all these areas. But I just want to put that out there, that we are not asking you or your church to solve the foster care crisis by yourself. 
We are asking every church, every Christian of every denomination, to everybody to step up and do something for orphans. Anybody still need the grid up there? I said this in the last class. I'll say it all the time. Not everyone can be a foster parent, but everyone can do something. We have some foster parents in the room. They're awesome. They are probably supporting other foster parents, and other foster parents or adoptive parents are supporting them. We don't, okay, think of your church. Think of who sits around you in the sanctuary. Think of the one family that you don't think really would. You want vulnerable kids living in their home. <laughs> I did. Maybe they can cook. Maybe they can mow your lawn. For we got Bobby and Amber over here who at some point had 11 kids in their house. I doubt they had time to do stuff like that. I have a friend who adopted 15 special needs kids. She had a lady come to her house once a week. This lady did not like children, but she understood the biblical mandate. She stripped every bed in the house, washed all the sheets, and put it back on the beds. That was the biggest gift for this mom because that was an entire day a week that she could invest in her kids that this other lady didn't want. So it's not always something crazy. It doesn't always cost money. It doesn't always take time. It usually does one or the other of those. Um, so tier one, crawl, material goods. Here's some examples. Care portal rocks tier one like it's nobody's business. Beds, gift cards, toys, backpacks for kids entering care. When my kids show up at my house, they have nothing. I have not yet received a child with anything. I've had two placements totaling three kids. They came to me from the hospital. They didn't even come with an outfit. They didn't come with shoes. They didn't come with coats in the winter. They, two of them did, however, come with a backpack that some church had put together that had a toothbrush, a toothpaste, a teddy bear, a book, a pair of pajamas. So I had something to put on that kid if I needed to run to Target and get some clothes. I'm the kind of person who has bins of clothes, though, so I didn't. But not everybody does. Those are huge. And that's things that church can together drive. Um, I've done it before where I've had our kids' ministry get involved and we put the backpacks on our kids and the women's ministry fills the backpacks while the kids walk around in a circle. <laughs> and then they put them in the backpack storage room and those go to social workers. Um, blessing social workers. Who comes from a small county? Small counties, blessing social workers is crazy easy. Big counties... The bigger the county, the harder it is because there's more people to bless. There's a church not far from me in a smaller county that every holiday, so they try to hit about once a month, they do something for the social workers. On Easter, they put gift cards and Easter eggs and go into the office at night 
I'm sure they have permission and hide them all over their office. And so the social workers get an Easter egg hunt of Starbucks gift cards. Um, we've put together bags for caseworkers to have in the back of their car for kids. Maybe a pack of gum, a water bottle, a coloring book, something that doesn't melt to color with, things like that. Um, we've had our kids' ministries, our boys' and girls' ministries write thank you cards, draw pictures and send them off. We tell them what to write. We say things like, thank you for being a superhero. Thank you for making a difference in the life of a kid like me. And the social workers melt. We have a social worker on our team who has never received any kind of blessing from any church. We've put together gift baskets and shown up and the workers all have them on their desk at night, you know, usually a little healthy snack. Uh, somebody out there cares that you're making a difference. Social workers are superheroes. They are first responders. They are walking in to dangerous situations, usually with police assistance, and they are taking somebody's baby away from them. Or they're in my house once a month checking to make sure the kid's good while they're dealing with the birth family and trying to find extended family and doing background checks and trying to make sure parents have done mental health checks and drug checks and taken other things and then they have like a pile of paperwork about 10 feet high every day that they have to fill out and if they don't when they go to court the judge is like I don't have that piece of paper so we continue it for three months and then that kid's in the system longer that's a lot of stress the average social worker stays in their position three years most of them don't go back into social work when they leave that. So um, blessing social workers is huge. Super easy. Get creative. Cheap. Christmas presents. If your church isn't doing Christmas presents for somebody, foster kids are great. Foster kids and foster families are great. You can contact an agency. The kids in residential homes who are a little bit older and harder to buy gifts for, for, a lot of them don't get Christmas gifts. There are residential homes all over Ohio. Those are not bad kids. They're kids that there's just not enough homes for. Something like 20% of kids in my county live in residential homes as young as age eight. Some of them are in mental facilities. We have a girl who requires feeding tubes. She's in a wheelchair. She lives in a nursing home. She has for years. She will. When she's 18, I guess she can leave, but I don't know. I don't know what happens to her. I don't know if she gets a lot of Christmas presents. She doesn't get any visitors. They ask people just to come in and hold her hand and brush her hair. This is the easy stuff that there's no reason you can't do something. I'm sure there are hundreds of ideas. These are just some that I came up with. Questions, comments, concerns? Okay, moving around to tier two. Tier two usually requires a background check. Let's be honest. Um, tier two is doing something with your time, your resources. In our county, we throw a high school graduation party like it's nobody's business. Each kid walks around with a tote of stuff for their dorm or apartment, depending on where they're going. Um, churches have buildings. Buildings have rooms. Foster parent agencies need buildings to do meetings and to do trainings in. My foster care agency, I'm so thankful, they use a church. And our monthly parent meeting, they already have all the kids' rooms set up so the kids get to go play in childcare, doing a missions trip to an orphanage, driving kids around 
is huge. Kids, foster kids go to visits. They visit birth families. Sometimes at county buildings, sometimes in visitation centers, sometimes at Chick-fil-A. But somebody's got, some of, if their parents are working, sometimes you need somebody to pick that kid up and bring them to their visit and then bring them back. Some agencies will do that, some won't. Some agencies charge for that. CASA is a court-appointed special advocate. I love CASAs. They're like, they're, when you get a good one, they're amazing. I had a look. Um, GALs are a different story, but I love my CASAs. CASAs come in, and they try to put all the pieces to that kid's puzzle together, and they get to rec a recommendation to a judge about that kid's future. Court-appointed special advocate. A CASA works under a guardian ad litem. A guardian ad litem typically has 10 to 20 cases or 70, depending on where. Um, a CASA has one. A CASA is also a volunteer. They're not paid. Um, Bridges is an aging out program right now that they need, are looking for adults to mentor 18 to, I guess they start at 14. 14 and up, life skills, cooking, cleaning, teaching them how to drive a car teaching them how to make spaghetti, how to do laundry, how to apply for college. So they don't do that while in foster care? No. Because a lot of, well, some, there's programs that they're supposed to, but a lot of these kids, if they're living in facilities, they're being raised by staff. Somebody's cooking for them. Somebody's doing their laundry. Somebody's cleaning their room. If they're in a family, they're more likely to have those skills. But a lot of them aren't. Or they're in a family who's not really interested in investing in them as a person. They're more interested in maybe a paycheck. We found yes, it is very, very difficult. Yes, once they're 18, they can get a driver's license. But most of them cannot while they're minors. Well, prudent parenting is changing that in some counties. Well, the counties are required to pay for driver's ed, but the foster parents are not supposed to sign the paper to get their temps that says I am financially responsible for them. Because the foster parents not technically financially responsible for them, not legally, the county won't sign that paper because that's a liability. Sometimes some kids will sneak off and get an obscure family member to sign it. They, the, the BMV doesn't care who signs it. So they, they preach normalcy for a child to have a normal life. But then when they turn 18, they walk out of your home and they age out of the system with no driver's license. And no life skills. And no life skills. And they're supposed to be normal. And in Cincinnati, they set them up in a little one-bedroom apartment, usually in the worst part of town, in a really bad neighborhood. And go, okay, thrive. And 200 bucks in their pocket. Mm -hmm. They're set up for failure. Handyman. I was stressed out one Sunday in my support group. Burst out. They were like, how are you doing, Katie? And I burst out in tears and all this stuff with my kids and my dishwashers. The front panel fell off and the insulation and the kids are poking holes in it. And I don't know how to put it back on. And that was an e super easy. Two men were like, can I come out today? Yes, whoever gets here first, fix it. 
Like, it didn't even require any tools. It just required an engineering brain that I do not have. They came and they fixed my dishwasher and I was less emotional the next day. <laughs> Childcare, babysitting, um, foster kids, depending on the county, depending on the agency, they need people with background checks to babysit their child. A background check starts at about $45 and goes up from there. An FBI background check with fingerprinting, which is what's required. Um, churches covering the cost of that. Because maybe somebody has time to babysit, but they don't have $45 to get the fingerprinting. That's an easy, that's a one that a church can get involved in. Prayer team. Somebody calling me once a week going, what can we pray for? Tier three, jumping in the deep end. Safe families for children is like foster care, but totally different. It is when a parent says, I need help for one night to six months. Will somebody, but I don't have a family, a support system to leave my kid with. It's good old fashioned Christian hospitality. So it's in several counties in Ohio. It's wonderful. The family from a church gets a background check, does a small home study, says, I'll open up my home for a kid. They get an email. They say, yes or no, I can take this kid. It's an agreement. Mom never loses custody. There's no money involved. Um, welcoming kids in your home without becoming a foster parent. It is saved. It started in Chicago 15 years ago. It saved the city of Chicago $500 million. Not a single child in safe families has been abused. Um, respite care. Respite care is overnight babysitting of a foster child. I cannot leave my child anywhere overnight where there is not somebody respite approved. That includes my youth pastor. I make him get respite approved so my teenagers can go on youth events that spend the night. Um, because there he's just going to respite with the youth group. Um, mm-hmm. They have to be approved. Sometimes there's training hours. There's always a background check. Sometimes there's a home study. It's, that's an agency and county-based rule. In my agency, it is, requires 12 hours of training, a home study, and a background check, and an interview. Mm -hmm. But parents, aunts, uncles, best friends, parents, they're respite. I would rather drop my kid off it's a friend from church's house. Somebody they see every Sunday. You're going to Wendy's house to have a sleepover. He's like, I love Wendy. I see her every Sunday and she gives me candy. <laughs> Instead of, I'm going to drop you off at a stranger's house because I can't take you with me. <coughs> Sometimes it's my decision. Like this, it would have been distracting to have a two-year-old up here playing. Um, but sometimes I, the county won't allow me to take him out of county overnight. Um, domestic adoption, that's straight adoption without the foster care piece. International adoption, also good. Um, international hostings where they'll send orphans from someplace here for the summer so they can meet different people and experience different things and then they send them back to their country. It's a thing. I've never done it. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. So um, that's tier three in a nutshell. I'm sure every list on all of these are longer. One night to six months. So it could be a short prison sentence. It could be mom's in the hospital for a week or two and doesn't have anybody for the kid. It could be mom's homeless. 
um, dealing with going into rehab, something like that? She could have just said, and any day in the middle, she could have said, I want my kid back. But probably the Safe Families workers contacted the county and said, we're seeing red flags. We don't know if it's safe for this kid to go home. So some of our Safe Family kids do go into foster care. Um, I put a blank in there for what's your next step. If something spoke to you, write that down and then do it.